Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome to a very special episode of Ohio Politics Explained, where we're breaking down what's happening in the trial of Larry Householder. He's the former speaker of the Ohio House at the center of the state's largest public corruption scandal. Prosecutors say he sold the state house to an energy company for about $60 million. The defense says Larry never took a bribe, and in a couple of weeks, a jury will decide who they believe. It's going to be a long, complicated trial, so we're bringing you weekly updates on Monday mornings, just like this one. We're explaining what happened in the previous week and what you can expect from the case in the coming week. And because we're still trying to do it all in less than 15 minutes, we had better hop right in. Reporters extraordinaire Laura Bischoff and Jesse Balmert are down in Cincinnati covering the trial for us. So they're going to be joining me each week to give you the scoop. Hey, guys. Hey, hey. We're here. Yeah. So let's start off with opening arguments. I like to think of them as roadmaps for a case. And the prosecution went first. So what was their message to the jury? I would say that Emily Gladfelter, she's the lead prosecutor on it. And she walked the 16 jurors, it's 12 um, jurors plus four alternates, through kind of like a preview of what she was going to show and explained that this isn't about politics. This is really, or not about your own partisan feelings anyway. It's about corruption. And it was interesting. It was definitely kind of a, a preview of, of what, to, what we were going to see. Yeah, she started by saying Larry Householder sold the state house. He ripped off the people he was elected to serve. And I think that's really their uh, position. Yeah, They have many, many documents, many emails, many records, an undercover agent. So there's going to be a lot to wade through. They have said that that their presentation of the case could take about three weeks. So this is going to be an extensive case and they have a lot to prove and they're hanging it really on one charge. But the crux of their case is, you know, Larry Householder betrayed the trust of Ohioans. And I think in a case that's this technically complex, too, it's important to have that like one narrative to keep coming back to. And I'll be really interested to see how they keep weaving back to that point over and over so that it like sticks with the jury by the end. They could easily get lost in the weeds on this. I mean, it, it deals with some pretty complex issues, a big cast of characters, a lot of money trails. And from what we counted, there were at least 810 exhibits entered into evidence by the the prosecution. And when I say 810, there was like, you know, number 810 uh, documents A through F or A through double M. So it's a small mountain of like easily over a thousand for sure. And, you know, we heard that there were at least 250 subpoenas um, issued via the, the grand jury. So this is a this is a really big case. All right. So there's actually two men on trial here, right? There's former Speaker Larry Householder and then the former head of the Ohio Republican Party, Matt Borges. So what did their lawyers have to say? Because obviously they're going to tell a very different story. Certainly. So Householder's attorney, Stephen Bradley, did the opening statements for that side. And he said, you're going to see that the government got it wrong here. And his whole presentation was essentially that Larry Householder was a politician from Perry County. He went into his back history pretty extensively, trying to kind of give the jurors a picture of who Larry Householder is and his origins and why he might be interested in supporting a bill like House Bill 6, which ultimately was going to give subsidies or perhaps a bailout of uh, $1 billion to First Energy, this Akron-based company that had a subsidiary that owned these nuclear plants. So trying to paint a picture of why Larry Householder would support this legislation, you know, absent any money that was flowing his direction. 
And Matt Borges' attorney, uh, Todd Long, gave the opening statement for his side. And he basically said, look, Matt Borges is an outsider. He's not on team householder. As a matter of fact, Larry Householder and Matt Borges don't even like each other. Mm-hmm. And um, really, it, the, he's, uh, he's uh, accused of paying a bribe to a guy named Tyler Furman uh, for insider information um, from the opposing camp on the referendum. And the Todd Long, the attorney, said, you know, look, this was not a bribe. This was Matt Borges helping out a mentee, a longtime friend who was in financial trouble. And, you know, basically it's a big misunderstanding. It wasn't a bribe. And so there was a little bit of a kerfuffle. I guess I don't know if kerfuffle is the right word during opening marks where we saw the judge actually admonish uh, Larry Householder's team of lawyers. What's up with that? What happened? So when Emily Gladfelder, the assistant U.S. attorney who's really going to be the lead on this case for the government, was giving her opening statements, uh, the judge, you know, told the attorneys for Larry Householder to basically be quiet. And then when we had a break, he said that he was appalled by their behavior. They had been kind of whispering, clicking their pens, you know, making facial remarks during uh, Gladfelder's opening statements. So the judge said that it was Bush League and unprofessional. (laughs) So I would say Judge Black does not mess around. Yeah, there's no shenanigans in Judge Black's courtroom that we can tell just in the first, you know, two and a half days. Yeah, didn't he say that if uh, Larry's lawyers couldn't get it together, he was going to leave one at the table and send the rest to the gallery? Yeah, absolutely. You know, though, he's he's, um, showing kind of he also um, kind of rebuked um, a f- one of the federal prosecutors who asked a question at some point, and, you know, the judge said, you know, that, that was already answered in the pretrial conference, which you failed to attend. So he's like this really serious law professor who is going to call you out for not doing your homework. And it has almost two kind of personalities that he's showing. One is to the jurors where he's, you know, very grateful for their service, um, you know, compliments them on paying good attention during during the testimony and so <laughs> forth. And then when the jurors leave, it's, uh, you know, hammer time for the for the uh, attorneys. And I hear he sings. Well, it was it was kind of funny. He he does have a, a funny sense of humor. And um, at one point, one of the presentations wasn't showing up on the monitor. And there was, the judge said, okay, um, we're going to try and get this fixed. We might have to call IT or I'll have to call my child. So then they couldn't get fixed. And he goes, well, my child's not available. We're calling in IT. So Rich, the IT guy shows up and he's crawling around under the desks. And, you know, there's like 60 people just sort of watching this guy crawl, right? And uh, he says, um, you know, some people might find this to be an awkward situation. I can break the tension by singing my favorite song. Edelweiss from The Sound of Music. (laughs) And he says to Rich, the IT guy, he says, well, what do you think, Rich? Should I sing it? And Rich is like, sure, judge, whatever you like. So it's it's definitely, he sounds like quite a character to have leading this trial. But so we got four witnesses so far. Uh, the first three I would kind of classify as foundational witnesses. Like we had an OSU professor who explained energy policy, an agent explaining how nonprofit and dark money groups work. And we kind of got a little bit of a walkthrough through some of First Energy's finances. But the star of the show, I suppose, was uh, FBI agent Blaine Wetzel, right? This is where we first started to hear about what they think Larry's plan was. And it sounds like it started before he ever got back to the state house. Yeah, you're right. They took care of some housekeeping, that foundational stuff. They also introduced those 810 exhibits. And then Blaine Wetzel was on the stand for about 90 minutes. And it did give us a preview of how they're going to, they're, they're introducing, you know, each piece of key 
evidence and showing a timeline of here's when this happened, here's when that happened. And it's really interesting because like, you know, the jurors are being asked to weigh a lot of evidence in a world that is unfamiliar to them. Yeah. You know, like following dark money and energy policy and state politics really is not often the jam of most people. We we follow it, right? But <laughs> And it's confusing and difficult for us sometimes. Like the number of times I've had to say somebody, to somebody like, okay, explain what this is again, like I'm five. Mm-hmm. So I would say the, the meat of what we got to hear from Wetzel's testimony was looking at how early Larry Householder was reaching out to First Energy, which was August of 2016, which was a few months before he was even reelected to the Ohio House of Representatives, sent yeah. an email to a First Energy executive requesting a meeting. Um, even before before he was reelected, he was having meetings with his political strategists, looking for candidates to support, looking for donors who might be behind him. Had a, a so he was planning his comeback from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had this document that um, Jeff Longstreth, his political operative, created in October of sixteen, and uh, one of the titles or the sub title was Operation Rewrite History, which is it's kind of funny because, oh, you know, Larry Householder served as speaker from 2001 to 2004, and he really earned a reputation as a very aggressive fundraiser and sometimes a bully. And so he wanted, as he was, you know, going, plotting his big comeback, he wanted to revamp his, his image with some key talking points. Do a little and, damage control. Right. And, you know, focus on the accomplishments, shine it up a little bit. The softer, friendlier side of Larry. And I thought another thing that was interesting was kind of the way he was labeling this group of people that he saw as key supporters and member of members of his team. I think we had heard these people called team householder before, but they were labeled people who were, quote, on the farm. And Larry's a farmer, so they were on the farm with Larry. Indeed. So people <laughs> who were on the farm included, uh, you know, of course, his political advisor, Longstreth, but fundraiser Anna Lippincott, Neil Clark, the lobbyist. Rex Elsass, a GOP ad maker, a legislator Tom Patton. So there was a number of people who were on this list that he felt like were going to be part of his team. He even had a list of people who were like quasi-farm that he... Suburban people, closer. perhaps. <laughs> right. And then and then Blaine uh, Wetzel and Emily Gladfelter also kind of delved into the documents that show that um, Larry Household rode, rode on the, the First Energy private jet to Washington, D.C. for um, Donald Trump's um, inauguration back and in January. Fancy steak dinners back in January 2017. Yeah, and and there was an interesting list of people on that. Cuyahoga County leader Rob Frost was there. Tony George, who's this Cleveland area business guy. Uh, Mike Dowling, the First Energy's top lobbyist. Householder's son. Householder's son Luke, one of one of the sons. And um, you know, while they're there, they the he, there was an entourage of between six and eight people according to the dinner reservations, and they dined at um, Charlie Palmer Steakhouse and The Palm, which are two kind of fancy restaurants where, you know, the well-heeled get together. Yeah, they. I mean, they flew in a private jet. They had fancy steak dinners. I think that's a narrative that the jury can probably follow a lot easier. Like, big energy company takes new lawmaker out for big fancy dinner. Like, that's that's pretty easy to follow. The prosecutors, the challenge for them is to say why this is evidence of a yeah. bribe agreement. And I think it's it's laying the foundation of here's where the relationship started, started to come together. Here's where they, they made these connections. And then, you know, like as soon as they get back from D.C., they are, you know, cranking out the formation of Generation Now, the dark money group that would become the main source of funding for householders' return to power. Um, and then the next day after Generation Now is formed, Partners for Progress, which First Energy used to kind of as an intermediary to pump money through. And uh, Longstreth uh, sent 
uh, wiring instructions to um, Mike Dowling, the first first energy lobbyist guy, uh, with a note saying, "Hey, this is the organization that Chuck and Larry discussed." Chuck was Chuck CEO, Jones, right. the CEO of First Energy. So it shows at the highest level that they were they were doing this. And there was also a crucial, and uh, it was almost like a cliffhanger because we got to this point. And then the judge said, it's 4.30, we're breaking for the yeah. day. But, um, you know, in March of, of 2017, First Energy and Generation Now, the money spigot kind of got opened. And uh, Mike Dowling sent an email to his staff saying, hey, send $250,000 to this group, and we're going to give a million dollars by the by the end of the year. Yeah, so we'll definitely hear more about that uh, next week, which leads me into my final question that I'll be asking both of you every week, which is, what do you think we're going to see in the week ahead? Obviously, um, we had a short week. It was um, one of the jurors tested positive for COVID, so we didn't have trial on Thursday or Friday. But uh, Blaine's going to be back on the stand. Where do you think he's going to go next? Yeah. So I think the federal prosecutor is really laying this out chronologically. So I imagine we'll start looking at how Larry Householder worked with candidates to get them elected and how those candidates later supported him in uh, the speaker battle with then Ryan Smith, a representative. I think we'll probably move on to the passage of House Bill 6 and the effort to, you know, the fight over whether House Bill 6 should have been come law, which led to a ballot initiative and really some dirty campaign tactics during that ballot initiative referendum fight. So Blaine Wetzel, I believe, will be on the stand for several days and uh, we will see what he has to say. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at the Alliance Review. That's the-review.com.